Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm Chris Case, managing editor of Velo News, joined by the Zwiftaholic, Trevor Connor. Hey Chris, I'm actually here. <laughs> Howdy Trevor, thanks for making the long journey down from Canada. Today we're talking about trainers. Hey! For those of you out there who hate them, we get it, but stay tuned, as we'll tell you why you shouldn't completely ignore them. For those who love them, we're going to tell you why riding outside every once in a while is a really good thing. And for those in between, today's episode will offer a wealth of knowledge on how to get the very most out of trainer time. Now, one thing is certain. The days of staring at the basement wall while riding your clunky, loud trainer are behind us. Today's smart trainers and online tools allow us to gamify the experience and are making many reconsider how they feel about riding indoors and very importantly, the extent of the training benefits. In this episode, we'll talk about the science and experience of the trainer, including number one, how riding on a trainer differs from riding on the road, including the experience, our interaction with the bike, the different inertia generated by the trainer and its impact on our biomechanics what impact these differences have on power and heart rate and why we shouldn't use the same numbers inside and outside. We'll discuss situations where it's good to use a trainer and when it may even be better than riding on the road, such as when we're doing neuromuscular work. Likewise, we'll talk about situations where you might want to avoid the trainer. You might know already, a five-hour mind-numbing ride on the trainer is a sign of incredible dedication. Don't do it again. The gamification of trainers by tools like Zwift, Trainer Road, and Sufferfest, and how this is changing our perspective on trainers. It can be both good and bad. We'll discuss when to use rollers rather than a trainer. And finally, we'll talk about how much time to spend on the trainer and alternatives when there's snow outside. You're going to get a lot of different opinions in this podcast. None of us will go so far as to call the trainer Satan, though at times we'll come very close but you will hear a few guests give convincing evidence that the trainer has benefits you can't get on the road. Ultimately, it's going to be up to you to decide. Our primary guest today is Kieran O'Grady, who is new coach and sports scientist at Team Dimension Data. Kieran just finished his PhD at Kent University with Dr. James Hopker, who conducted some of the definitive research on the biomechanical differences between riding on a trainer and out on the road. In addition, we'll talk with retired multi-time national cyclocross champion, Tim Johnson. Being from the Northeast, Tim is very familiar with riding indoors, and it has a lot of good points to offer from two decades of experience. Trevor also caught up with Jacob Frazier from Zwift and Kevin Poulton, who coaches Matt Heyman and Caleb Ewan and works with Team Katusha. Kevin used Zwift to coach Matt to his 2016 Paris-Roubaix win and since then has integrated significant trainer time into his athlete's race preparation. And by the way, folks, please be sure to rate us and give us some feedback on iTunes. It helps other listeners out there find Fast Talk and gain from our experience on the show. With that, get your fan ready, dial in your avatar. Is that what they're called, Trevor? Avatars? Oh, God, that's scary. <laughs> make sure you enter your weight correctly on Zwift now. No cheating out there. Let's make you fast. Working on your holiday wish list this year? 
Normatec is the ultimate athlete gift, and for a limited time, you can save $200 and get free shipping on the Pulse Recovery System. An extensive body of research shows that Normatec increases circulation and reduces muscle stiffness. The result? You can train harder and race faster. Normatec is the official supplier of USA Cycling, and it's also the same technology that riders like Tom Skunch, Taylor Finney, and the BMC Racing Team all rely on. Well, I don't have too many horror stories about riding the trainers because I've probably ridden a trainer mm, a dozen times in my life. I'm super spoiled, live in Boulder, but Trevor, having lived in Toronto for a long time, has to deal with weather, has to deal with urban streets, has to deal with a lot of things. And I know he's dying to tell us all a horror story about his time on trainer. Well, the question is, which horror story do I do I tell? And Chris, you did an hour on the trainer last night, right? You had a horrible uh, coach that I, made you do, do that? I, I tried to do an hour. I can't say I made it to an hour. <laughs> okay. Well, I haven't seen the workout yet, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, I guess my biggest horror story is I worked many, many years ago with a coach who was huge on the trainer because... He was pure physiologist, and when you're out on the road, it's too variable. He doesn't get good data, so he really wanted to have me on the trainer. And I was living in upstate New York where it's cold and snowy in the winter, so he had me doing upwards of 15 hours a week on the trainer. And I'll tell you, doing an hour kills me. And I remember at one point that winter, it got warm enough to go outside, so I took advantage of it. I was out on my bike. I was about an hour in. And we just got this mix of snow and rain and it was cold and it was miserable. It's one of those epic days that you tell your friends about that you survived. And at one point I hit this intersection where I could go right. I think it was go right and I was 20 minutes from home. Or I could go left, go over a bunch of climbs and it was another hour and a half to get home. I think I know where this is going. Yeah, I went left. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That is how much I despised the trainer, how much I was willing to to suffer anything outside. And I did what the coach wanted me to do. I spent my 12 to 15 hours a week on the trainer, and that season I was burnt out by April. So that is kind of the, the horror story side of the trainer. Probably another good story we can share is the urban legend. I don't know if this is true or not, but Eddie Merckx used to sit on a trainer in his basement for six hours at a time, staring at a brick wall to make himself mentally tough. And I would not recommend that to anybody. It takes a strong brain to sit through that. Some people would melt. (laughs) Others might be strengthened by such a thing. I, I am in the former category. Yeah. Well, the story goes that a bunch of coaches heard about this and they put all their juniors on trainers staring at brick walls and ended a whole bunch of juniors' careers. So, But with, with that as a probably not a ringing endorsement of trainers, let's, let's jump into this. Well, there are certain applications, I think, where a trainer is appropriate, uh, uh, going to give you a very effective workout. But I think where we should start is how to understand why a trainer is a bit different than riding on the road or a lot different in some cases and in certain aspects of of riding. So maybe we can bring in Kieran here and he can kick it off. 
Yeah, so with sort of the traditional turbo trainers, there's there are stark differences between sort of riding indoors, riding in outdoors. But as as the technology is progressing, that that gap is slowly becoming a lot smaller. So I think probably the easiest one to start start off with is how outdoors you're actually going somewhere. You're <laughs> you're traveling distances. You're you're doing things. Your your body is moving. There's side to side motion, and you can get out saddle quite easily, quite comfortably. Whereas on on the indoor trainer, that's that's just all static. Um, your body is stationary. You don't you don't really move very much. So you can you can really get into some problems, especially if you're not 100% debt with a bike setup that fits you perfectly and optimally. Uh, you can develop sort of overuse injuries, sort of uncomfortable pains and and sores, which no one ever likes. You know the other the other things, which is is changing as the technology is changing, is sort of the way that the the turbo trainer works. So a lot of the the, the old wheelbase systems are becoming slowly more obsolete. There's a, there's a couple of manufacturers that still still uh, produce them uh, at top qualities, but there's more and more going to sort of the direct drive setup, and that's it's, be, it's better on equipment. Arguably, it's better for for training purposes. You don't have that that change in that that chance of of slippage of the back wheel. Everything's a bit more instant, um, and then the the flywheel mechanics are slowly changing as well, getting different flywheels, different resistances, looking at one this morning that, that actually used, used magnets against your rim. So obviously that doesn't work with carbon rims, but it can be quite, could be quite interesting to work with aluminium or, or steel rims. And so as, as the Canadian here, sorry, I'm going to make fun of you really quickly. Uh, Kieran is, is British. So for those of you who are wondering, a turbo trainer is what Europeans call uh, a trainer uh, or mm-hmm. our North American is just the trainer. So, but I actually love that term. And uh, yes, in Canada and Britain, we call it aluminium. I've, I've actually just got to correct you there. I'm, I'm, I'm from Britain. I've got a British accent, but my, um, I'm of Irish nationality. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents are Irish. We've got Irish passports, but I was educated in, in the UK. So um, I'm Irish through and true, but the only thing that comes out of me that's British is the accent. Well, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk quickly about that. The, the one thing that I didn't really understand until I, I did some research a while ago uh, for an article, the um, whole concept of inertial load, that when you are on the road versus on a trainer, you're fighting very different resistance, which can impact how the bike functions and ultimately can impact your biomechanics. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of different things going on when you're riding on the turbo trainer versus rollers versus on the road. But just that that inertial load, and it changes on on the different types of turbo trainers that you'd get. Um, some of them are a little bit closer, and it depends on what what sort of efforts you want to do. Whether you want to do sort of low force, you know, high cadence type type work, or high force, low cadence. So that that's something that you need to take into account with the inertial loads and the mechanics of the flywheel, that sort of thing. Right. So the inertia when you're out on the road is generated by the, the weight of your body and, and the circumference of the, the wheel, correct? Where when you're on the trainer, it's just the, the flywheel, which is much smaller. So you have much less inertia. And just for, for our listeners, what we mean when there's less inertia is when you're out on the road, because of the weight of your body, you stop pedaling, you're going to continue to roll for a while. Where if you're on a trainer and you stop pedaling, it, it comes to a halt pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And looking at the the increase in size of the the flywheels, I think that's something that a lot of manufacturers are slowly copying onto and, and trying to 
trying to lessen lessen the gap between the inertial load indoor versus versus outdoor. And so the direct drivetrain trainers, is that one of the benefits of them or do you still have that small flywheel so, so you have less inertia? Yeah, the, the, the direct drive trainers are, are a lot better um, in terms of that. The, a lot of them, uh, especially the, the top end models, I think was the Tax Neo has has a little motor in it that simulates downhill. So when you you know when when there is that inertia on the road, it, it sort of helps you a little bit to to maintain that. So that is something that they're they're slowly bringing in, and it's going to be very interesting to see where this is this is going because you know the applicability for this for training is important if you want to train indoors for outdoor performance i think it's going to be an important thing to consider so this difference in inertia that ultimately impacts your your biomechanics and your efficiency on the on the trainer correct yeah correct different pedal stroke techniques and, and muscle recruitments on outdoors versus turbo trainer and the different inertia that that's all going to change which muscles you're using when you're when you're riding outdoors, there's there's generally a lot more of a balanced muscle recruitment. So you're gonna have more recruitment from the gastroc, um, so your calf muscle, biceps femoris, hamstrings, gluteus max, so you know, your butt muscles. So whereas the turbo trainer is, is more quad based, you'll find because because there is that lack of inertia, there's not that sort of continuation of the pedal stroke. So it's a lot more push based. So you're gonna have more sort of vastus lateralis, rectus femoris, and and tibialis. So the the top muscles of your of your thigh are going to be really driving the pedals around. A lot of research was done on this back in 2012 with my my PhD supervisor and and his re- research student um, Marco Askerstein. But despite despite the different ways that the muscles are being recruited and the difference in that pedaling technique, there was very little difference on whole body efficiency particularly so how that changed during during the, the training session so you know you are getting different ways of, of using your muscles and different adaptations there over a long period of time but on a whole body there's there's not so much difference but you will get differences in in sort of pedaling technique development over time so this was dr hopker if i remember one of the things that he found in his study was that you actually uh, there's less drop in power uh, at, at the dead centers of the pedal stroke. So that's coming over the top and, and pulling through the bottom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. That sort of ties in massively with the, um, with the inertial loads. If you can, if you could not have that power drop, you get a bit more of a consistent power output. And that's, that's where you'll find the, the outdoor riding has more, more of a, a greater range of the, the muscle recruitment throughout the pedal stroke. Um, so with that dead center, it's um, as I said with the with the uh, the turbo trainer with the low low inertia, you just mainly use your quads pushing up and down. Whereas when you're out, well, in this case, it was on a bike on a treadmill, so it was replicating outdoor riding indoors in a controlled manner. But that was more more of the whole leg and and sort of musculature involved in that was being recruited all the way around the pedal stroke. So. With all of these differences between riding on the road and riding on the trainer or the turbo trainer, what does that lead to in terms of, of power numbers? Are we seeing higher numbers on a trainer or lower numbers on a trainer relative to what you'd see out on the road and and why? I think there is a massive difference between what the rider can push out outdoors versus indoors. And for multiple different reasons, there's the actual physiology of it. As we mentioned with the muscle recruitment earlier, the but just the the fact there's different attentional focuses there's you're actually doing something outdoors there is a lot more 
sort of mental performance improvement when you are riding outdoors. And that all comes into perspective when you look at doing testing outdoors versus indoors, FTP tests indoors, and then an FTP test outdoors. Most people will get higher one outdoors if they can find a nice 20 minutes or sort of one hour track that they can use and then do it indoors. So it's almost worth having an outdoor zone and then an indoor, you know, indoor training zone so that you can really train effectively in both. Yeah, and that's really important. I mean, in that study by Bertucci, and there's actually another one which I'll mention, again, we'll put all these references up on the website. Uh, this was led by a doctor, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Boylode. This was a study done in 2017. They looked at doing a VO2 max estimate on the trainer versus on the flats versus on climbing and found that there was between the, the flats and the trainer in a 20 minute test, you could have a, a 20 to 30 minute watt difference. And between climbing and the trainer, it, it could be 40 to 50 watts. And that's important because if you're planning on doing interval work on the trainer, if you go and, and do a 20 minute test to determine or estimate your FTP uh, on a climb and use that number, then get on the trainer, you're going to kill yourself with any interval work. Yeah, definitely. And um, the same, similar sort of results were found by Marias in 2014 with the like a 40 kilometer time trial. They, they found that power output and, and heart rate. So both both performance and physiological response was higher. So when you are training indoors, then you've got to take that into account. And for the same physiological costs, so the same heart rate, same blood lactate, same power, you you generally see a lot higher RPE. So perception of efforts is increased. And if you do turbo trainer, turbo trainer, turbo trainer all the time, you'll probably find that there will become a point where you where you do get burnt out. So they actually, in that 2017 study, they talked about effective load, which was, and this is very uh, subjective, but effective load is basically the, the, the mental stress of the, the effort. They took RPE and subtracted a metric of pleasure to come up with uh, the effective load. But what was interesting is they found effective load on the trainer and higher is worse was about 170% higher on the trainer than out on the road. So it, 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 it's mentally draining on you. So if you, ha if you had an RPE of, of 10 and the pleasure rating you gave it was negative 75, that's where I would be all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very high effective load. Definitely not pleasurable. Yeah. No. And I think some people can tolerate it more than others. And maybe we'll get there, but there are certain certain ways you can make it more pleasurable. But again, I'm so spoiled in a way that I get to ride in a beautiful place most of the time. And getting on the trainer is just a lot of work just to, just to throw the leg over the over the saddle. And I will tell you, I was quite surprised when I moved to Toronto and started coaching athletes up there. And I was even in April and May when the weather was nice, starting to tell my athletes, get off the trainer and go outside. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there are things like Zwift or, or Sufferfest that make it a little more enjoyable uh, that these athletes don't want to get off the trainer. The other interesting thing out of that 2017 study was that they found the, the so they did four minute TTs to estimate VO2 max. 
and showed that the four-minute test on the trainer was a much better estimate of what was determined in the lab. So there is some evidence that if you want to get truer numbers, do your testing on the trainer. I would like to go back and, and just confirm some things. Maybe maybe you guys said this, and maybe this is redundant, but are you saying that in a same-length effort, versus road versus on the trainer, you would actually see higher numbers outside or higher numbers on the trainer in terms of power output and, and heart rate? higher numbers out, outdoors and yeah, and yeah. so you, you get you get a higher higher performance outdoors uh, i would say that'd be arguable based on the course and and what sort of terrain you're riding on but yeah usually it would be higher outdoors and you know there's there's higher heart rate higher as, as a result higher blood lactate higher vo2 everything like that but the perception the physiological you know the, the psychological cost would would be a lot lot greater indoors right for a lower power output performance now, heart rate will actually be a little bit higher on the trainer because you're stationary. Unless you have one heck of a fan, uh, your body's doing a little extra duty to, to keep you cool. Yeah, yeah, correct. So there, there, is, there is some research, um, I forget the author, who, who, did, who did some work looking at the, the temperature gradients. So core temp versus skin temp and then outdoor temp and looking at the, the way that you do cool yourself outdoors versus indoors. And yeah, that is, that is the case of the heart rate. There is, there is heat stress and less variability. So when you are training outdoors, you could be training in different environments day by day, whereas indoor, usually that's going to be very consistent. I would imagine because of that, that's greater stress on the system and the psychological component that makes it a little bit more difficult to go three hours on a trainer, that that's why time just seems to slow down when we're on the trainer. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, there's a lot less of the chance that you'd use what's called dissociative thoughts. So you, you'd think when you're, when you're riding indoors, you're, you're thinking a lot more about you actually riding and the, the pain, the, you know, the effort, everything going on. Whereas when you're outdoors, there's a lot more uh, use of riders by uh, using dissociative thoughts. So thinking about things other than what you're doing. So that usually results in lower perception of effort, greater time to exhaustion. So if you're doing time, you know, time to exhaustion efforts at a set power output, you will go for for a lot longer outdoors because of that, you know, dissociative and, and lowering of the RPE. So I, I can't resist this. I, I have to go for the worst pun on fast talk of 2018. I would say time gets stationary on the trainer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's boy. how I feel. Okay, so should we... Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll discuss if we want to cut that later. All right. So sometimes we like to pick on riding on the trainers, but there are some applications, certain applications that the trainers are great for. And there are some applications where trainers just, it really is something you, you want to get outside for. So let's, let's parse that and figure out which is the good side and which is the bad side of, of trainer use. The real benefit from that I see from turbo trading is that, you know, you can do for, for usual riders, you can do a lot more of a specific, very structured workout versus, versus what people can do outdoors. I mean, I don't know what the terrain and, and sort of riding style is like around you, but I'm living in London and it takes you an hour to get anywhere where there's any sort of roads where you can do a proper effort on. So a lot of people struggle doing specific training sessions outdoors. So most of the people that I coach, the amateur athletes will be 
doing their, their specific work indoors and then using the outdoor training to be more of a general general endurance training and, and any sort of efforts that we can fit into that is a lot more unstructured. So there isn't a chance to to really target things the way you would do indoors. But I think they are very valuable um, as, as a tool and they should be treated as such. So, you know, use them where, where you do need them, but know that there are pitfalls to using them because, you know, as we discussed, there are differences in, in the physiology and, and the, the performance that, that comes from training indoors using a turbo trainer or rollers or, or whatnot. Yeah, well, I think that's a really important point to, to emphasize about allowing you to do a good structured workout. I remember the, the first year I was coaching in Toronto, uh, one of those athletes who I, I chastised a bit for still being on the trainer in, in, in April and May, I gave him these five-minute intervals. And his first question to me is, okay, you want me outside? Where can I do these? And then I looked at a map of Toronto and had to reply, I can't find anywhere. There wasn't really anywhere in Toronto where you could do a steady five-minute effort without hitting a traffic light or a stop sign. It was impossible to get outside and do these longer efforts with any sort of quality. So in some ways that necessitated having to use a trainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've, you've either got to do that or make some compromises in the training that you are doing out, outdoors. You, you then have to sort of, if they, if they really don't want to use the turbo trainer or can't or, or for whatever reason, you might need to say, okay, instead of a five minute, you've got a, you've got a three and a half minute, hit, uh, minute hill here or, you know, a section of road that's going to be, you know, maybe a little bit, a little bit harder to do the set intensity, but the same duration. So you, you may have to find yourself making uh, compromises in the, in the training, right. training prescription that you're using. I would say the, the other obvious benefit of the trainer is, is weather. If it is pouring rain and cold or there's a foot of snow on the ground um, and you living in, in Britain where you get a ton of rain, my, myself living in Toronto where winter's pretty snowy, if you don't use a trainer, it, it's really hard to get any sort of uh, solid training in those winter months. Yeah, and and add in you know light light availability, um, especially if you are a, a full time working athlete. So you've got a job and, and family to take care of as well. There's you're looking to train in the mornings or in the evenings after work, and and it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. Doing that with lights on outdoors, I'd say there's there's probably more risk than reward there. So if you can jump on the turbo trainer and do do your training session, get the good quality session done. And then, then go go and do your work, and then come home. I think that's a hell of a lot better than than risking it outdoors. And I think all of that makes sense. You know, if if there's the bad weather, lack of light, or urban living compromises your ability to get outside, the trainer is a great tool. I think, though, that it's worth emphasizing the danger that if there's a stretch of bad weather that lasts for weeks or it's the winter and you're just not going to get outside when it's daylight hours. So you resign yourself to riding the trainer every day. We all know that riding the trainer for workouts is great, but riding them for long hours is not as great. And then maybe the temptation becomes to make every ride a little harder than you want it to be, or every ride is, becomes a workout, and then you risk burning out really quickly because of that. Yeah, and so, Sierra, I'll, I'll 
toss this to you in a second, but the, I, I think the important thing that Chris is bringing up here is one of the dangers of the trainer is the long ride. And it's important to remember that three hours on the trainer is not the same as three hours outside. Outside, you have variability. You're going to have points where you stop pedaling. You're hopefully a little more controlled, where, as Chris said, um, sometimes you have a temptation to go too hard on the trainer and you're pedaling the entire time. Yeah, definitely. There's 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 no let up. There's no traffic lights. There's 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 nothing that takes that physiological stress off just for a moment and and allows that to recharge. So unless you're doing set intervals with set recovery factored in there, where you where you do have the chance, and then maybe jump off and, and go for a walk around, refill your bottles, and actually do something different. The only other way of really getting a long ride replicated indoors is is probably to do split sessions so maybe one 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 hour in the morning one hour in the evening and and sort of instead of trying to get that stimulus in in one bolus in one sort of uh, single session then then trying to split it up into into two smaller ones and yes you're not going to get the same training stimulus but you're still going to be sort of fairly similar in terms of the the overall training load right and actually, a really good alternative to this that Dr. Pruitt gave us a few years ago, this is what he did because he loves to ski and he has a place up in Winter Park is he would go out and do a couple hours of, of skate skiing or cross-country skiing, immediately come home and then hop on the trainer and just do 45 minutes. And, and he called it kind of hitting the, hitting the muscle memory. So it was get the endurance work on the skis, but just get that little bit of, of trainer time to, to keep the, the body remembering uh, the pedaling motion. And, and that gives you a good solid three-hour workout where you're not going insane for those entire three hours on the trainer. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's a, it's a good method. And it's, it's something if you commute to work on your bike as well, which I've got, I've got guys that I coach that commute 30 minutes in, into, into London and then 30 minutes back. And then as soon as they're home, they're, they just take off their, their winter kit and put on a pair of bib shorts and do half an hour, 45 minutes to an hour indoors. So they're still, so the effective training session time can be upwards of an hour and a half. So you can still get that, that endurance longer ride, but not, not at the same uh, sort of perceptual cost as if you were to do it just solely on, on the turbo trainer. And the one thing I'll add to that is just if you're going to do that, make sure you have the trainer and everything set up. So as soon as you get home, you just hop on the trainer. Don't spend some time with the family, watch a little TV and then <laughs> hop on the trainer an hour later. It's not. Then you're doing two workouts. Yeah, it doesn't 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 count if you cook dinner in between. Now, we had talked before that the, the pedal stroke is a little bit different. And you, you had said that. Um, with the trainer, you're actually still putting out a little more power when you're coming over the top of the pedal stroke and, and through the bottom. So essentially the stroke, pedal stroke might be a little bit better on the trainer. So it seems like one of the places, and I do have a bias for this because this is what I do with all my athletes. When you're just doing neuromuscular work, like cadence work, that's a great thing to do on the trainer. Yeah, it can be, it can be good to do the, the neuromuscular high cadence and, and low cadence as well, getting a bit more of the strength work when you do that indoors. Uh, you've also got the added advantage of not, you know, less chance of being disturbed while doing it. So sometimes if you're doing it outdoors, then you're doing a, you know, five, 10 minutes high cadence block, then, you know, you may, you may have to lower your cadence or, or change your cadence um, unnecessarily. But if you're doing it indoors, 
a really good chance to just focus on 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 the cadence work that you're doing and getting that neuromuscular adaptation. Yeah, that's that's such a good point because when I give athletes or, or my, when I'm doing this myself, where I say do a minute at 130 RPM, it's amazing how little a change in the gradient of the road is needed to drop you from 130 to 110. Where on the trainer you don't have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, or or you stick to the you stick to the same cadence, but you know if you don't pay attention to what gearing you're in, you're, you're completely changing the intensity band that you're in, and probably getting different physiological consequences than you're actually looking to get. You know, alongside the neuromuscular. The only thing I, I'm going to add to that is if you have this available, if you're going to do neuromuscular work, do some high cadence work. It's better on rollers than on a trainer because a trainer you're locked in so you don't have the balance component where a, a roll, rollers are going to be a little more like the road. And on top of working on your pedal stroke, your cadence, you also have that balance component. Working on your holiday wish list this year? Normatech is the ultimate athlete gift. And for a limited time, you can save $200 and get free shipping on the Pulse Recovery System. An extensive body of research shows that Normatec increases circulations and reduces muscle stiffness. The result is that you can train harder and race faster. Normatec is the official supplier of USA Cycling and is also the same technology that riders like Tom Skynch, Taylor Finney, and the BMC race team all rely on. So, Kieran, what are some other applications where trainers are good? One of the one of the crucial ones, uh, in addition to, to to doing training sessions, is to use them use them in competition as as preparation for races, whether that's road races or time trials. So, if you're doing, for example, I'll, I'll use time trials as an example. So, it's an individual effort. You you've got your start time. You you can then work back and plan your your optimal warm up. And that's, you know, not only just the, what you do on the trainer, but it's also all your fueling, everything. And you can really make sure and, and plan your, your best on an optimal warm up for yourself, because that's going to be different rider to rider, depending on what you need and what, what your power target will be. And then if you take that to a road race, then you know that you've got a road race that's going to be hard from the gun or there's a big climb at the start or, or, or even that you want to light it up from the start, that you want to go out, go out from the gun aggressive and try and get into that early breakaway or, or put people on the back foot from early on you know you'll see guys warming up on the on the on the turbo trainers before before the race and that's when that's a red flag you kind of know that they're gonna be, be a little bit more active towards the start or, or or conversely they could know that it's going to be hard and they want to want to kind of prepare for that and and not be at a disadvantage when when the going gets tough straight away and i would assume that Part of the advantage of using the trainer is that no matter where you are, what race you're at, or what the conditions are, there's a consistency to it. You can repeat it over and over again and, and avoid the, the challenge of finding a good place to warm up with roads and traffic. Yeah, yeah. That not, not everyone has the chance to, to warm up on a nice road where, where you can do it. And, and some courses, I know some time trials in the UK, it's, it's really difficult because the time trial courses here are usually on basically motorways and um, you know it's it's tricky to find somewhere to warm up adequately so most people would just bring their turbo trainers and and get that sort of structured consistent war, you know warm up procedure done every race 
The only thing I'm going to add to that, though, is if you haven't done this before, experiment with it and don't do it at your target race. Uh, I, I know with myself personally, and I've talked to a lot of other cyclists who feel the same, uh, even though you can get a better warm up on the trainer, it makes me really flat. So unless I have absolutely no other choice, I personally prefer to warm up on the road, even though it's, it's not going to be as consistent a, a warm up. I know some guys that do the kind of first half of their warm up on the on the the, the turbo trainer and do do the more aerobic part of the of the warm-up sort of early on and then get off prepare for the race and then go and do the openers and, a, and you know some vo2 max stuff out on the road where you know that you can get the feeling for the legs you're not just stuck on the turbo trainer for the whole time which is probably a great way to balance it yeah yeah a few years ago i had a chance to talk with now retired multi-time u.s national cyclocross champion tim johnson about the trainer Tim had many years of living in a cold, snowy place trying to figure out how to deal with the weather. He has a lot of great thoughts about the trainer. I'm not a big fan of trainers in the wrong or at the wrong times. I see a lot of people warming up on trainers before cross races, even when the weather's nice or even if the course is open in between races and it just kills me every time. It's like you know, the sound of a trainer for no reason is like the little angel dies instead of getting its wings so sad but when i do use a trainer i actually use it quite a bit for the last it's like 15 years now almost i had used a comfy trainer i was introduced to a comfy trainer through my wife when she is from quebec and had used a, a comfy trainer with her coach to get ready for you know races like redlands in the u.s which used to be the first big race of the year and she would she would come literally from Quebec, having never ridden outside, just riding on the trainer, and it'll go to Redlands, and she actually won it one year. Oh, wow. Just doing that. Um, so you can get very, very specific with the kind of work that you do. And so I, I really enjoy doing workouts on the trainer, and I have done them when the weather is nice. It's just that it's this super high-end, very difficult interval workouts that you really can't do anywhere else so why is that why is it better on a trainer well because you, you can repeat a very precise wattage so for instance some of the workouts i would do are like 45 seconds long with a minute off and you do it over and over and over and over again and when you do the first couple sets the it doesn't hurt that bad but by the end of it it is just the hardest possible thing you can do and that that usually means you you hit the the widest target right on. My coach that I've worked with for a long time was really good about giving me a workload that was just about right, taking into consideration weather, travel, you know, other types of stuff. And a trainer kind of gives you the option of adjusting it based on factors like that. So you can just drop it down 20 watts and still get a good workout? Yep. I think some of the benefits that I've had are through kind of the the mechanical side of things. So I've done these workouts, which are high RPM workouts, either on rollers or on a trainer. You bring your, your RPMs up really high, so maybe you start out at 100, and you get it all the way up to 130 or even 140, and, and back all the way back down to 100, but you do a minute at each um, five or uh, – yeah, five RPM increment. You do a minute at 100, minute at 105, minute at 110, minute at 110, 
et cetera, until you get to 130 and you hold for two minutes at 130 and then you go back down again. And so you can do a workout like that even if your legs are tired. You don't really use up much of your muscles, but you gain the fluidity of that high RPM stuff. And you also get the workout, which is where you're sweating your ass off. And especially when you're doing that in the middle of the winter or in cross like I do, you get the benefit of the workout without really taxing your body because it's hard enough going out to race in the snow and the mud as it is. Yeah, I, I give all my as a coach, I give all my athletes those cadence pyramids. I think I get about one in ten to do them, but I'm like you, great workout. Oh, they're awesome. I mean, it's, 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 when you're done, you feel like you've accomplished something, and that's you know that's a bigger part of, of being a successful rider is, is anything is feeling good about what you've done. What do you think are the wrong times to use a trainer, and why is that? I think it's a waste when it happens a lot. I've seen it throughout throughout my career is that I know people that, that get into the sport and they take it full gas and they will do three, four, five hours on a trainer on some random winter or spring day. And they are just, they are literally emptying out any kind of motivation in huge buckets and throwing it out the, throwing it out the window. So that same person in July or August or September is you know has basically quit the sport and it's like that to me is a waste you know you right start to do manageable pieces of a workout or fitness but i think anytime i've seen people do those kind of i think i'd probably call them panic workouts it's a sign that something else isn't going right they're like their expectations are completely off maybe they're trying to prove themselves to someone else or to themselves, whatever it is. But those are the kind of people you want to grab by the by the hand and kind of walk them off of the trainer and say, no, I'm sorry, but this isn't good for you right now. You shouldn't be doing this. So you're not a fan of, you know, somebody's in a wintry area and they really can't get out on the road. You're not a big fan of doing 15 hours a week on the trainer. It sounds like you're saying more do the specific interval type work on the trainer where it's great, but don't do the, the big volume. Well, I, you know, if you don't have a life or a family or a job and you want to you wanna just empty yourself out on your trainer, I mean, by all means, go for it. But if you do have the ability to do specific work and then have the ability to to do other things, like if it is jogging or skiing or, or Nordic skiing or hiking or, or anything else that's active, then you, have, then you have a chance of having a social life and or some kind of, uh, I don't know, like a reserve of your energy for later, if you can do that in addition to the specific work on the trainer. But I think that that one-dimensional part of, of what the trainer represents, I think, is something to be avoided. And and this is, I mean, I'm I'm a lifelong cyclist, and I've been introduced through to skiing and, and running through my life over the years, but it certainly hasn't been all at once. I mean, it's a it's a learning process, but I think that the tips and tricks from people that have that have been in this for a long time are more useful than the people who are like, well, my my power to weight went up 0.5 percent because I haven't eaten and I've done 15 trainer workouts this week, you know. And it's oh, by the way, it's March. I think that's the horse that you need to kind of separate from. So you touched on. Um warming up for a race on a trainer and doesn't sound like you're a big fan of that. 
I am when it's necessary. For example, if the weather's really bad, if you don't have secondary bike or you know equipment that you can count on. But I, I think that the gains made by someone who's able to take a look at the course one more time or maybe ride ride that difficult section for a second time, those are the gains that are going to matter more than whether or not you're warmed up absolutely perfectly because the, the differences in a cross race are going to be made more often than not in the corners. And so if you can see those corners and gain confidence in a corner, you're going to be better off than an extra seven minutes at whatever particular heart rate on your trainer is. So the last question I have for you is, you mentioned the cadence pyramids, you mentioned the short 45-second efforts. Are there any other uh, good workouts that you would recommend on the trainer? I can handle maybe almost three hours total on the trainer one day, and that would be a morning session with an afternoon session. But one thing that I haven't really loved are the longer intervals on a trainer, and I don't think I've ever actually done any longer than two minutes, maybe even maybe 10 at the most, but that would be with the wattage going up and down the whole time, changing cadence. What I found with the with the combi trainer is that, and now I've now I started using a Wahoo. Yep. Last winter, after the combi trainer finally died, after thousands of hours between Lynn and I, you know, I think that something that the trainer really gives you is a is a handle on throttle control, which, as a racer, everyone talks about threshold and and talks about your you know your your best wattage. Well, if you don't know what that feels like. If you're not exposed to that over and over again, it's really easy to to ride too hard or, or too easy. And so the trainer, what I've found is when you when you have the waters going up and down, and the cadence always changing, is it really gives you a feel for what what that throttle can do. So when you are racing, I feel like you make better choices. The important thing to bear in mind is that Tim and I did that interview four years ago, which was before the gamification of trainers became popular. So let's get back to our conversation about tools like Zwift, Trainer Road, and Sufferfest. So we've talked about the benefits. We've talked about some of the horror stories. We really need to talk finally about how to make all of this more enjoyable because there's a, in some ways an explosion of ways to accentuate time on the trainer from Zwift to Sufferfest to Trainer Road and things like that. So Let's dive into that a little bit more and talk about what those things are, what those applications are, and then some of the pitfalls to be avoided during those trainer sessions. Kieran, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put my hands up and say that I've, I've not used Zwift or Trainer Road myself. A lot, of the, a lot of the athletes that I coach use all of them. You know, Zwift is, is very attractive in terms of that it's, it's sort of that gamification of training and it, it can really engage you and, and, and help you spend the time. And, and it sort of progresses the time a little bit quicker. But uh, another way is, is, is to do group training. Um, have a friend that comes over and does a training session with you. Um, if they live locally, that's obviously really easy. Or I, I know guys that are on Skype to each other and, and chatting about things. And you can make those, the, the time goes a lot quicker on those if, if you're making it a little bit more social as well. So just to, to add in, as I've already mentioned, I'm somebody who absolutely despises trainers. And for years to actually finish an hour on the trainer was a major accomplishment for me. I couldn't even think about the idea of doing three hours. 
I once I moved to Toronto, got on Zwift, and I I have done now a three and a half hour ride on Zwift, and will even say it was kind of enjoyable. I, I have my <laughs> trainer set up in front of a very big TV screen. Well, not big. I have my face close enough to a TV screen that that's most of what I see, and it is the closest thing to being on the road without actually being on the road. And it makes it a little more enjoyable. I've even found myself when riders are coming up close to me on, on the, the display, I find myself kind of jumping to the left or jumping to the right because you actually feel like you're there a bit. Um, it's becoming almost virtual reality. Yeah. It's still not being out on the road, but if you can't get out on the road and, and you want to do time on the trainer, I, I think this is one of the, the really good ways to do it. You had also mentioned getting together with friends. I, I know in Toronto and a lot of cities, they have studios that set up trainer sessions where you can show up with your bike and, and do a workout with a lot of other people. I've actually run a few, uh, which is another great option. Yeah, we, ha we have that here in London as well. There's, there's loads of places that offer it. And it, it's a really good way of, of getting that social. And, and there's also the, you know, if you're, if you're not so much of a, a dedicated cyclist, you find yourself might going, oh, you know, I'm not going to train tonight. If if you've got a group of people that you know will be at the training session, there's there's almost that kind of it's, it's not really guilt, but it's it's you want to be held accountable for the training session. So you're going to go there and and do the training session, put in the hard yards with your friends, and 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 then come away from it stronger. Yeah. Well, I was talking about Zwift. I was trying to log into my account, and, and so far on Zwift, I have burned 273 slices of pizza. <laughs> Nice. And I have done 2,289 miles. And I know there are people who have absolutely crushed my stats. Do you think Swift. that you've had 273 pieces of pizza to make up for all that trainer time? Judging by how I was looking at the beer, I think I've done a little more than that. But, so I'm not going to talk about the particular system, but last year... I had a couple of my athletes go into one of these sessions where they, they did a workout that was up on the screen and I was going to join them, but had to do some, some work before I joined them. So I kind of came in 30 minutes into the workout. They looked like they had a bit of a lot of pain on their face. And so I was wondering what was going on. I jumped on the trainer and, and correctly set up my threshold. Actually, all three of us had just been tested. So we knew exactly what our thresholds were. I lasted 15 minutes of this workout. It was insane. And I had to, to, to go to all of them and just say, bring your threshold down 80 watts. So this workout That's won't destroy you. And it was still hard. So sorry, that was a very long story. But let's talk a little bit about the, the is there a danger of spending too much time going too hard on the trainer. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the danger of doing things indoors, indoors, indoors. I talked about it earlier where, you know, not only the, the mental aspect of it, you've got the physiological aspect, so that, that burnout, that overtraining, the sort of getting used to riding indoors and indoors only. And then, you know, I know people that have done, done winters indoors and then had some pretty shocking saddle sores as a result. And I also know, for example, on Zwift, and this makes it fun, but there's also a danger of this. There is a training race going off almost every five minutes, at least every 15 minutes. And I have seen athletes who are doing one or two of those a day, four or five times a week, which you know, 
love to hear your opinion, but as a coach, that concerns me, especially when people are doing that in December and January. Yeah, it's, it's, it is worrying, uh, you know, looking at it and, and seeing how many guys are going, you know, full gas all the time. And when, when you do jump on and, you know, I've had one guy that just started, I think two, two weeks ago using Zwift and he said he, he was humbled by how strong people were. And I think you've got to remember you're, you're riding against the global audience and, you know, there could be people there that are, you know, that's, that's the time that they're peaking and, you know, then next week you're riding against someone else and, and that's when they're peaking. So it constantly feels like you are a lot worse than you are. And then when you're, when you're on good form, you've got a couple of weeks to, to make the most out of it and, and feel good on Zwift. And then you're back to feeling like you're, you're at the back of the bunch again. It's, it, it can be quite disheartening, but I think it's, got, it, it's still got its uses, but you've got, you've got to bear that in mind. And you also have to bear in mind on Zwift, it is very easy to cheat. You either have your trainer or your power meter over report what wattage you're putting out. And there's a lot of people who put in a weight that is much lower than their actual weight. I actually found it funny. So in the, in the spring, Zwift added a replica of Altuez to one of their courses. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I've climbed it a bunch of times myself. But within two days of their putting that course up, I think it was 18 people had broken Marco Pantani's record time up the actual Alpe d'Huez. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that brings it in, you know, just stark reality of, you know, anything, anything with a computer system, you can kind of, you can jinx it a bit. A lot of my athletes who aren't on Zwift or Trainer Road or anything like that, they, they just stick on a, a, you know, a movie that they know that they like or even ones that they don't like. And yeah, you might not pay attention to all of it, but it's something to, that you can dip in and dip out of. I've got one one athlete who shall remain nameless that that really likes watching rom coms, so romantic comedies, and, <laughs> and 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 he yeah he just gets on, watches the the whatever rubbish film he can he can put on, and and it, it's there when he when he's cooling down and, and and recovering in between in between the hard hard stuff, and it does the job. Before I got uh, into Zwift. Uh, I put this together on a DVD and I want to figure out how to upload this to YouTube. I took all the Rocky movies and made a movie mix of all the training scenes and the fighting scenes. It lasts about an hour 10 and it got me through an hour on the trainer for a long time. Whatever it takes, I guess. Would you watch that at the same time, like over and over again or change it up? Yep. I never got bored. I'm a big Rocky <laughs> fan. <laughs> The only thing that I'm going to add to this, which you alluded to, is if you are spending time on the trainer, whether you're watching a movie or doing Zwift, this isn't an issue if you're doing something like Sufferfest or Trainer Road, but never ride steady. I have had athletes send me two-hour workouts that they did on the trainer, and their, their power looks like a flat line. Their cadence looks like a flat line. They just sat at one resistance for two hours. And my response to them is always, I admire you for being able to do that, but don't ever do that again, both <laughs> mentally and, as you said, to avoid saddle sores and other issues, vary it up, change the resistance, shift gears, get out of the saddle, do things to make it more like actually riding on the road. Listen to fast talk if you need to. Nice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I, I would add to that also, if, if, if you do feel like you you need to do those those more endurance based still adds add the sort of undulations and intervals and changes and cadence but that's where you know having if you've got a turbo trainer or a smart trainer or something like that 
having a set of rollers and you know even ones that you can put a little bit of resistance on where you can do those lower intensity sessions but you know be able to get out the saddle and change there's there's a bit of movement in the bike that that that's a really good way of you know not only getting getting a little bit more enjoyment you'll get more bike handling skills and confidence in the bike if you learn how to use it but it is something that that does take a bit of time and effort investment into into getting used to riding on the rollers and that is a really important point because you do actually lose some of your bike handling skills sitting on the trainer that rollers can help you with and i have certainly seen this up in canada where you have riders who spend all winter on the trainer and then a week later, jump into their first race. And it can actually be a little bit dangerous. I had a guy, we had, we had a race in, in late March last year. And I had a guy just slam into me. And you could see his handling skills weren't there. And my, my guess is he was just sitting on a trainer all winter. Yeah, you, there's, there's no movement in the bike at all and no need to concentrate. So you, 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 you then start to race like that. And it's, it's dangerous. So if you if you can get good at riding on the rollers and doing some of your sessions, the low intensity sessions on on the rollers, and then do your your high intensities on on the turbo trainers, that that's a good thing. If you are going to make all of your the majority of your riding indoor based, then that that's a good way to go. Here's a question that may lead us astray, but as a coach, would you rather see somebody spend a lot of time on a trainer in the winter, or would you? Um, encourage them to use the opportunity to mix things up, to get to the weight room a little bit more, to maybe even throw in a little bit of running, that sort of thing, to replace some of that time that they might have on the trainer. So yeah, mixing up in the winter, I, I would definitely say that. Um, I, I recommend and, and and sort of plan a lot of strength sessions, core strength sessions, and you know even some of my guys are doing you know more pure weightlifting clean and jerk squats that sort of thing to to really develop another aspect of their physical performance that you don't really chain on um very often or not many people do but the the cross training is is definitely so you alluded to the guy who goes out cross-country skiing i think that's brilliant um so yeah bringing in swimming is a good one as well because you know a lot of people use it as a a a ability to recover so it's it's non-weight bearing it's quite relaxing so on on some of my guys rest days who i want just having a sort of active rest day i'll give them you know tell them to go down to the pool don't give them a session i just say go down to the pool and have fun and and do a couple of lengths don't don't be really going maximal all the time just just have a have a swim but yeah i find that such a good thing to do throughout the winter and the more different sports that you can do throughout the winter if you are just looking at getting that overall performance it's it's going to help your because if you learn one thing or improve in one thing from from each of those sports you know that that there should be some sort of a a a crossover that you'll be able to take into your competitions yeah my personal feeling is even as much as i think things like zwift and sufferfest and trainer studios have made trainers much more enjoyable i personally will never ask an athlete to do more than five six hours a week on the trainer and and that that is the upper end I still encourage athletes to snowshoe, to cross-country ski, to do these other sports. And when the roads are dry, if it's cold outside, invest in some good warm weather gear and, and still get out on the road in the winter whenever you can. Uh, you know, Having gone through working with a coach who had me do 15 hours a week on the trainer, I, I just don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And uh, I would also say you don't have to make it just on the road. So cyclocross mountain bike 
change it up, make it fun, get dirty and get muddy and have fun. Um, a lot of my guys have, uh, since I started coaching, I've been telling people to to buy a cyclocross bike and, and look at that during the winter because it will have some massive physiological improvements over the over the winter for, for the for the amateur athlete. And and then when you you know you, you'll you'll take a lot of the skills that you learn from cross into into road racing. Yeah. And even fat tire bikes, you can ride them in the snow. They're a lot of fun. There's a lot of places that rent them. Excellent. One of my favorite things on Fast Talk is when I have my own beliefs challenge and have to reconsider my position. Trainers are a clear case of this. I've personally gone from someone who despises them to someone who enjoys frequent winter rides but still feels that riding outdoors is a little better. Well, maybe I have to reconsider that as well. I recently spoke with Kevin Poulton, who coaches athletes like Matt Heyman and Caleb Ewan, and works with Team Katusha. He was there with Jacob Frazier, a brand experience manager for Zwift, who travels the world helping coaches and athletes get the most of the tool. Kevin coached Matt to his 2016 win at Paris-Roubaix, almost entirely on the trainer, and now believes strongly that there are benefits to the trainer you don't get on the road. Let's hear what he has to say. So I am actually here right now at the USA Cycling Coaching Summit here in Colorado Springs. And we actually just had a great presentation yesterday all about the, the benefits of actually doing workouts on a trainer. And it, it was quite fascinating uh, and quite coincidental with, with this podcast, which we had planned ahead of time. So I've managed to uh, square away a little conference room at USAC and uh, we're going to have a quick conversation. So my first question to you is being somebody who lives up in Toronto, which is a little more conducive to hockey than it is to cycling, I have really learned to appreciate the trainer. And I will, as I said in the podcast, I couldn't do an hour on the trainer when I was watching movies or staring at walls. I've been able to do three plus hour rides on Zwift. So just obviously there's a bias here, but you probably got involved in this because you, you felt there's a value here. So talk a little bit about this gamification of cycling on the trainer. Yeah, I think for everybody who rides the trainer at some point or another, we hit that metaphorical wall and it usually happens as you're staring at your garage wall or your basement wall. And we need something to keep us interested. I'm actually born and raised in Chicago where the weather does turn terrible six months out of the year. And while we have a strong narrative in the, the public about being a cold weather brand, it was actually developed in Southern California by John Mayfield, who's from Austin, Texas. So it's always been a warm weather product. And the reason John created it is because he had a second kid uh, and time management was becoming an issue. I'm sure Kevin can talk a little bit more about how much more efficient indoor riding is than outdoor riding. You have more structured efforts. You're always pedaling the muscles under constant tension. But we tried to make it a bit of fun as well. John comes from a video game background. And while we want to keep the training serious and beneficial to the rider, we also want to have a bit of fun with it. So we're always going to root our courses in fictitious worlds. We have some exceptions to that with the World Championship courses, both in Richmond as well as in Innsbruck. Um, but you saw just a few weeks ago, we launched New York, where one of our founders, or excuse me, one of our co-founders and our CEO is from. Uh, and we wanted to have a bit of fun with it. So we set it 100 years in the future. And there's a glass road above the skyscrapers and things like that. So I haven't seen that yet. It's a fun, fun course to ride where Central Park is nearly identical to the real Central Park. Our art team, I think, is the best in the video game business in terms of recreating or designing both real life aspects as well as gamified aspects. And we'll always have a bit of fun with it. That's where, for example, the power-ups come in. Every time you cross through one of our finish arches or our sprint arches, you get some advantage 
advantage to the game. But on the other hand, we have very real drafting algorithms. For example, when you're behind a rider, you do get a statistical advantage in comparison to riding on your own. So we're always going to walk the fine line between really accurate training data and going over to the game side and having a bit of fun with it. And I think like you said, it creates the ability to ride the trainer for longer, which is more beneficial, but it's not just a really exciting video to look at. There's interaction with it, and that's what I find. The gamification is one thing, but the constant interaction with the platform is what's keeping me engaged when I'm on the trainer. So, Kevin, when you presented yesterday, I thought I was expecting you to basically say trainers are pretty good. They're not a replacement for being out on the road, and that's not really what you said at all. As a matter of fact, you gave an example of, of an athlete winning a, a major race with a buildup almost completely on the trainer. And you talked about actually doing blocks on the trainer, even if you can get outside and get do a good workout, doing blocks on the trainer because it seems to produce greater gains. So can you tell us about that and, and this example I was talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So for myself as a coach, indoor training has been around from day one. So we've always used it. We've always used it sporadically because... Until we had these modern platforms like Swift, we didn't have the interaction, the engagement and motivation with the athlete. So to ask them to train indoors, it was it was a big, big ask and um, they were quite reluctant sometimes. But at the same time, we knew they were going to get a quality session and it was going to be a good workout. But now with things like Swift, the athletes are motivated, it's fun for them, they're engaged. So you can ask them to come back and do consecutive days of training indoors. And the story you mentioned there, uh, Matt Heyman, 2016. He broke his arm leading into the classic season, 2016. He was forced to train indoors for three and a half weeks. So that's how it was, I guess, in some ways, indoor training was forced upon me as a coach as well to have to use it for this long period of time. And it was something I hadn't done before myself. So it was it was quite a learning, learning period for, for me as well. But uh, as the story goes, after Matt trained for three and a half weeks indoors, we, we knew he was fit going into it. And we knew as we were going through that three and a half week period that he was producing some good numbers and showing good fitness, but we had nothing to compare it to outdoors. So going into Paris-Roubaix in 2016, it was a bit of an unknown, but I remember saying to Matt before the race started on the day, everything indicates that you're going to have a good ride today, so just go out there and relax. And, and as history shows now, he went out there and he won the race quite convincingly from going in the early break to covering Tom Boonen in the finale and, and beating him in the sprint. So that was the introduction to, to indoor training for myself and it really piqued my interest in we really experienced something incredible here. We knew that Matt made gains in fitness after that block of, of indoor training on Zwift. And so since then, with all my riders that I coach at World Tour level, we've implemented blocks of indoor training leading into major races. And, and some of the key points are that we're doing these blocks of training right before a major race, right before a Grand Tour. We're finishing five days before a Grand Tour. Or another example, a young guy from Australia, Rob Power, he finished his indoor training block two days before Strada Bianchi and ended up finishing sixth in that race. So it's been, um, in some ways, a, a fun learning curve, and but also the riders have enjoyed it. They're doing less volume on the ergo. So as we know, when we do a taper, we're always doing less volume anyway and focusing on intensity. So by training indoors for a period of between four and 10 days, the riders are getting very specific race intensity, less volume, but they're also getting a great workout and they're coming out of it with really excellent form. So I guess my question for you is, what are the gains that you feel they're getting from doing these four to 10 day blocks on the, the trainer that they wouldn't get out on the road? Yeah, well, 
There's actually, there's a few. Um, and it really depends on what time of the year that you're implementing the block of, of indoor training. So I've done training camps at altitude where we've done double session days where we've done a morning road session, uh, endurance, only up to four hours. Then we have a, a two to three hour break. And then we do an afternoon ergo session on Zwift. But one of the key gains, and getting back to Matt Heyman in 2016, one of the key gains is just by training indoors, you get that uh, increased core body temperature. That's where we're getting a massive increase in blood plasma, which equals an increase in VO2, more oxygen to the muscles. And that's why the guys are so more efficient. They're so more aerobically efficient that they're preserving all the glycogen for the finale. And again, the best example is, is Matt Heyman, where after being in the early break, uh, he was accidentally riding away from his breakaway companions because he was just on a different level aerobically. So that was a really good point. And then in the finale, he was able to attack, counterattack, and produce a very good sprint because he preserved glycogen all day. And that was one of the biggest outcomes of training indoors for three weeks. So I also saw you were showing um, one of the, the team training camps where you had some of the athletes doing that traditional camp out in the road, but a few of them were actually sitting there on the deck of the house you, you had rented and were doing two-a-day trainer workouts to, to show just how much you, you believe in this. Uh, but one thing I found interesting is I'm personally a big believer in if you're going to do five hours in a day, do it in, in one big block. I'm a believer in the long ride. But I noticed when you have athletes doing these trainer workouts, you're, you're doing two-a-days. What do you feel are the benefits to, to two-a-days versus doing all in one shot? Oh, massive. This, this is one I really like to talk about now because, you know, for you to make the statement that you're a believer in, in long days, that's what we've always done in the past, you know, up until just recent years. But now what we're finding is that you can throw more stimulus at the body. You can throw more adaptation at the body by breaking it down into two sessions a day. Whether you're at altitude or not, we know that when you do a long endurance ride, sure, you're going to deplete carbs, you're going to fatigue muscles and you gain endurance that way. But we're gaining more endurance by riding indoors with that increased blood plasma. You're not going to get that by riding outdoors for, for six hours. And at that camp you mentioned there, it was a great opportunity to have basically two sides of the coin where we had, we were training, this was a pre-tour de France camp. Uh, we went to California first for the tour of California. So we were at Lake Tahoe and we had one side of the group was the GC guy, Adam Yates and his teammates. And then the other side, we had Matt Heyman and Caleb Ewan that were doing the, the two, two a day session uh, style of training. And the outcome of that was we were doing, again, like the longest morning endurance ride is four hours maximum. But then we were doing that in a recover low state, so no carbs in the second half of the ride. And then we'd have a two or three hour break and then we'd get the ergos out. The boys would do uh, a session on the on the Zwift. Uh, it wasn't high intensity and, the, and that's the key point there. It doesn't have to be high intensity day in and day out. Just being on there, riding at moderate pace, building up a sweat is enough to, to force adaptation. Anyway, so the guys were doing the depleted sessions, depleted carbs on the ergo. Uh, we're also doing gym sessions at the same time. And then what really hammered home the key point to me was at the end of that camp, we did a long seven-hour ride in the mountains, lots of climbing. And this was the longest ride that Matt and Caleb had done on this camp. And we were six hours into the ride, and here's Adam Yates at the front pushing a nice tempo. And right on his wheel were Matt and Caleb, and the rest of the guys were, were out the back. And for me, that really sums up the advantages and what we gained while doing that sort of that sort of training style. Fantastic. And for any of our listeners who are wondering what we're talking about, about uh, training in depleted state, I can't remember the number, but about uh, 15, 20 episodes ago, we had Dr. John Hawley, who did a lot of that research on the episode and uh, talked all about um, glycogen depleted training, and, and which seems to be showing some real benefits. 
So I guess the, the one question I do have for you, because I have seen this up in Toronto, where snow melts in middle of March, our first race is at the end of March. So we have a lot of people getting off the trainer and riding on the road for the first time, just a couple of days before the first race. And it does seem there, there, that can be dangerous because some people are, are really lacking in the, the bike handling and, and the pack skills. Is that something you've seen or something that, that is a concern? And, and what would you suggest for that? Yeah, it's something we talk about even at Zwift headquarters all of the time. You know, I think with the number of pros we now have on the platform and a handful of them like Matt Heyman came in response to injury, but once they see the training benefit, they stay on. Now, obviously, Matt Heyman has a career of bike handling skills. So for him to be on the Ergo for a month or so and come off, his bike handling skills were still there with him. But for a lot of the, let's call them age groupers or, or Cat 5 racers here in the States, if you will, they essentially develop a rocket ship engine and have never driven a rocket ship before. So we always encourage athletes to to keep riding outdoors. We're never going to take the place of, of outdoor riding. That's not a goal at Zwift is to get everybody on Ergos all of the time. Unfortunately, in the northern hemisphere and the northern half of the northern hemisphere, when you're snowed in for the wintertime, there's no way to really do that. Uh, I think if you have a local track that you can get to, that's always a great way to keep your pack skills finely tuned. Yeah, and I guess just for me too, the key point is, like Jacob said then, what we're doing at World Tour level with training now, the indoor training complements the outdoor work. You can't just win a bike race with indoor training, but it certainly is. Now, we talk about one percenters in, in training now and what we're going to gain. For me, indoor training is a five percenter. You do all the hard work first, do a block of indoor work and get a big gain at the end right before a race. And we're using it now for Grand Tour preparation, classics, season-long preparation, and it's certainly working. Yeah, look, I can definitely say from a coaching perspective, indoor training is here and it's here to stay and, and coaches need to embrace technology and work out how to use it for themselves. Um, as soon as they, we learn how to use it appropriately and the benefits from it, I would recommend just experimenting with it first with your athletes. Start with doing some single day sessions on the ergo and then do two sessions in a day or then do two or three days in a row and just see what the results are because as coaches – one of our biggest jobs is to monitor the response to training. So rather than just giving someone a program to go and do indoors, monitor what the response is. What are the changes to the athlete? And, and then put that in place in the future with the athlete from there. Let's get back to the show. Kieran, I'm going to throw this one over to you. Uh, for those people out there that may have to travel a lot for business and end up using the uh, hotel gym to to get their workout in do you have any recommendations for them yeah yeah um do some research before you before you travel i have one athlete who for a long time has been traveling all around the world going to different different hotels and he he bought a second he has a set of um power tap pedals on on his bikes at home but he has a travel set of power tap pedals that he takes with him and basically just finds a gym where he can find a a bike it doesn't it doesn't really have to be a, a watt bike or a stages bike it, it just has to be a bike where he can set up it into his his own position and remove the pedals and he puts on his power tech pedals follows the session that i've planned for him and at he's, he's happy as larry so the the way that you can be sure that you can get a, a training session anywhere in the world just do a little bit of research find somewhere that's going to have bikes that you can change the pedals on maybe a little bit of a courtesy email to the to the hotel staff and just say can you get in contact with your with your gym and see whether i can do this and if you're going back to the same locations you'll find you'll find your favorite you'll you'll know the gym that you want to go to but it's 
it's something that you know wherever you are in the world that you can get a session done if you've got if you've got the equipment if you don't you know this guy was obviously very lucky and he could take a, a spare set of power tap pedals around with him but if you don't have that then you know there, there is a little bit of a disadvantage you, you you're going to have to rely a lot more on either either the equipment if it's a, a a bike that can read power that's that's good but then you've got the issue of is it going to be the same as your you know the the power that you've set your zones to so you might have to go more on sort of heart rate and perception of efforts which which is good but it's not really going to be the same if you're looking at getting those structured workouts in so you know there's up, upsides and downsides but there's ways of getting around that so the other thing i'm going to quickly add to this because i do have a few athletes who travel a lot is if you are going to do a hard workout on a gym bike or or when you're out on the road, avoid doing long thresholdy type efforts. Like don't do a 20 minute threshold on, on a gym bike because you're never going to replicate the position of your actual bike. When you do those long efforts in a, a position that your body's not used to, you start running the risk of injury. As strange as this might sound, if I'm going to give an athlete a workout when they're out on the road, I prefer them to do something short and usually give them sprint efforts because then you get out of the saddle and you are eliminating one of the contact points that can be in the wrong position. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that and, and say that when you are riding on a bike that's not familiar with yourself, you do run the risk of, of developing those um, those overuse injuries that are just just that can occur so quick, you know, the term overuse, but if it's if it's an hour session in the wrong position, it that's certainly gonna have an effect. Yeah. So Kieran, let's put you on the clock. You got one minute. And uh, tell us your top tip or top trick to getting the most benefit out of trainer time. Make it fun. Make it different. Um, there's a lot of, lot of ways that you can sort of mix it up, whether that's group riding, gamification with Swift or, or Trainer Road or any of the new apps that are coming out. It is a tool, so use it as such. Take it to races. Experiment with your warm-ups. Do, do on-roads. Do, do uh, your warm-ups on the turbo trainer but be careful with it it can come around to bite you in the ass if you solely train on the turbo trainer and, and then go go and race and and you know we alluded to the the bike handling issues but it, it, it can be a very valuable tool so learn it love it but don't rely on it and don't don't just do it all the time trevor what do you think i think that was one of the best summaries i've heard so i'm not sure i have too much to add Really, my point, which is very similar, is I see a lot of people who want to show their dedication, want to want to have that great base season and spend those insane hours on the trainer, spend all that time doing races on Zwift. And my experience is you are not rewarded for that. So keep it in moderation, keep it in balance. 15, 20 hours a week on the trainer is probably not a good idea. And as you said, it's a great place to do structured work, but still remember that there is a balance. Um, you know, we're big believers here in the polarized training model. You still want to do most of your time low intensity. And if you're spending a lot of time on the trainer, that still applies. Yeah, I think both of you guys nailed it. I have a natural inclination to use the trainer very sparingly. And I know that my circumstances are a bit different than everybody else's, but I would, I would still try to emphasize to use it sparingly, use it, and by doing so, you'll use it most effectively. 
That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at velanews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, The Vela News Podcast, which covers news about the week in cycling. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velanews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velanews. Fast Talk is a joint production between Vela News and Connor Coaching. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual.